Mommy, as you were singing that, and I was sitting here looking into your faces, and of your faces I've looked into from this perspective for many, many years, and uh, you really have no idea how much I love you and care for you, and how much I want what we say to be of help to you. Some of you in this room I do not know, but I know you have not come here to hear me. You've really come here to hear a word from the Lord, which is what I'm here to hear as well. And so I pray that whatever said today, and has already been said so beautifully in testimony and in song, will speak to your heart, and that you will walk out of here today not remembering a sermon or a song, but that you will walk out of here today with a deeper reverence for the Savior, for a deeper understanding of who He is and what He wants to be in your life and in mine. So I know you'll pray for me. I hope you do. I know many of you do. I'd like all of you to. That the Lord would say through me today what I need to hear from Him and what you and I together need to hear from Him. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Willie Loman? You ever met Willie Loman? Well, you may have met him in life, a representative of the Willie Loman that's pictured in Arthur Miller's the death of a salesman. Willie Loman was a middle-aged, overweight salesman who bragged about sales that he never made, profits that he never experienced, claimed to have his personal friends, people that he'd never even met. Really sad and pathetic figure. Buying expensive gifts, making love to women other than his wife, trying to bolster his sagging self-confidence. And then one day, Willie Loman, in a moment of truth, realized that he was a tragic failure rather than a success. And that people made fun of him behind his back, called him a big walrus. And unable and unwilling to face the truth about himself, Willie Loman took his own life. At his funeral, a few friends gathered, a broken-hearted, bereaved wife, and two sons. And one of his two sons, named Biff, turned to his brother as they were looking at the casket. And Biff said to his brother about his father, he never knew who he was. He never knew who he was. Do we know who we are? Do you know who you are? Do you know who and what you and I can be? There's an alternative to Willie Loman. I read it earlier. I want to read it again from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. He, Jesus, came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, would it omen? No, children of God, child of God, son of God, daughter of God, 
even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. This is a powerful, pertinent passage of Scripture. What it's saying here is that whoever comes to him, irrespective of who they are, where they're coming from, whatever's happened in their lives, whether they are a Willie Loman or worse, to believe in him is to be transformed, to have a transformation of nature, to have a transformation of self-attitude, to have a transformation of relationships and practices and habits, and to become a child of God. Born, notice this, not of blood. You don't inherit it from your parents. You may inherit some wonderful attributes and patterns and lessons, but salvation is not something you inherit because you're born into a wonderful Christian family. How grateful I am for that. I will be eternally grateful for that, for the influence it had upon my life. But the faith of my parents was no proxy faith for me. I had to come to a place of my own personal experience with the Lord. We endeavored to raise our own children in an atmosphere of Christian love and acceptance. But our faith could not be transferred to them because we were in Christian work or because we knew the Lord. Mike and Steve and Lisa all made their own profession of faith in the Lord as Savior. In fact, I was so concerned when Mike, our oldest, was making his profession of faith, and he was about seven or eight at the time, and I was talking with him about it. Martha and I had talked with him about it, and I said, now, Mike, let's just be sure we'd talked. And I said, have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? My being a preacher or a pastor and your mother and uh, I endeavoring to be in Christian work doesn't make you a Christian automatically. Have you personally accepted Jesus in your Savior, as your Savior in your heart? He said, yes, I have. And I said, well, let's ask him. I want to just let's say it over again. So we went through that. And I said, you just asked Jesus to come into your heart. So he did. Well, Mike's kind of quick and in a hurry at times, as some of you who know him know that to be a characteristic of his a very attractive one. And uh, so I, I, because he was a little impetuous, I said, Mike, let's be sure about this. So I went back over the whole thing a second time. And I said, now, Mike, are you sure that you've really made this and you made this decision? You've asked Jesus to come into your heart and you know that talking to me or being baptized and all of those things, that that does not make you a Christian? He said, yes, I understand that. Well, I said, let's talk to Jesus again and just be sure that you've asked him to come into your heart. Well, we went through that again. When he got through, he's talking to, to Martha, to his mother. He said, you know, I trusted Jesus. Dad made me do it twice. <laughs> well, better try to do it twice and not do it once. Very important. You see, we're born not of blood. It doesn't move from father and mother to son and daughter, nor of the will of the flesh. It is not something that we in our own fleshly endeavors can produce for ourselves. It is not some good works that we can do. As fine as those good works are and as helpful as they are and as commendable as they are and as how necessary they are in the community, that does not make me a child of God because I simply do good works. 
That's commendable. But with Christ in your heart, good works will be done and be done in Jesus' name. And those good works will have even more influence and more power because they're being done in the name of the Lord. Not born of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. There is no way that a pope or a pastor or a priest or a church or a church ordinance can in any way communicate to you personal salvation. There's only one way, only one way that we become sons of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and that is by believing in Him. Not just believing in the pastor or the priest or the religious leader or the church or in good works, but by believing in Him. And what happens is a transformation of our nature, of our environment, and of, and of our attitude. And this is not something that, that's the result of evolution nor is it the result of revolution. It is the result of communion, common union with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we repent and when we respond to his initiative, he gives us not only this new nature, he gives us a new environment and he gives us a new calling and he tells us what that is. He calls us to be something a lot more than poor Willie Loman. Jesus says in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John, the fourth verse, these words to his followers. We, now notice that word, that is a very important word. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Do you know who you and I can be? We can be sons of God joint heirs with Jesus Christ and co-workers with God himself. Do you hear this astounding statement that he has just made? He has made us workers with him. We, he said, must work the works of him who sent me. It is a cooperative effort. We are involved. We are indispensable. We are essential to what God is doing in the world. He gave himself to be with us, to be our co-laborer, to guide us and direct us and to give us stability, to give us increasing faith, to give us an outpouring of grace and an abundance of peace. He is doing all of that. He will do all of that. He will continually do all of that because he has come to be a part of your life. He is inextricable from you. You are indivisible. You have become one in God. And so he gives us himself and makes us co-laborers with him. I pray with all of my heart that every person in this room today will begin to realize that you are a partner with God. You're in partnership with God. You're a co-laborer with God. Now, there's some things that we cannot do without Him. There's just some things we cannot do without Him. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot produce peace in our hearts and in our lives. We cannot automatically create restored relationships. We cannot, with sincerity, begin to forgive others, even as Christ for God's sake, has forgiven us. There's just some things we cannot do without Him. 
why Peter said, when Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, when the disciples, when many of the crowds were beginning to, to disappear and float away because of some of the demands of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and Jesus asked his disciples, are you fellows going to leave also? Are you going to leave also? And Simon Peter, thank God that he often said the right thing. Sometimes he put, put his foot in his mouth and said the wrong thing. But boy, he said the right thing here when he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. True. To whom will we go for forgiveness? To whom will we go for salvation? To whom will we go for peace that passes understanding? To whom shall we go for the capacity to forgive others? To whom shall we go? There's just some things that we cannot do without Christ. And now this may surprise you. There's some things that Christ has chosen not to do without us. There's some things that Christ has chosen not to do alone. By his will, by his providence, by his plan, he has said there's some things that I'm not going to do, but I am going to entrust to you. I'm going to believe that you will do them. I'm going to commission you to do them. I'm going to depend upon you to do them. And if you don't do them, it won't be done. I'm not going to override you. I will ride with you. I will guide you and direct you and strengthen you and sustain you, but I will not override you. I will not force you, but there's some things that I cannot get done if you don't do it in my name. We, he said, must work the works of him who sent me while it is day for the night comes when no man can work. There's just some things that God has chosen not to do unless men do them. He put the marble in the earth but like Michelangelo, he never carved a David or a, or a Pieta or a Moses. He put the ore in the earth, but he never made any steel or iron or a needle or built a locomotive. And when it comes to the issue of salvation and communicating the gospel to the world in which we live, he has entrusted us to do it. I will be with you, he said. I will never leave you nor forsake you, but you're to be my voice. You're to be my hands. You're to be my feet. If you don't do it, it will not be done. You're familiar, I'm sure, many of you. If not, let me familiarize you with it briefly. The story in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts when Paul, then named Saul, but Saul was persecuting the Christians, responsible for killing Stephen and was endeavoring to do the same to others, was going to Damascus to take Christians whom he hated, he detested. He thought that they were the abomination of the earth and he was going to Damascus to get Christians and to bring them back to Jerusalem, to bring them before the Sanhedrin and to have them executed as they had done Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And on the way to Damascus, you know the story, the Damascus Road story, where the bright light shined from heaven and Paul had a conversation with God, had a conversation with Jesus Christ. He fell in the dust of the Damascus Road. And this marvelous conversation takes place recorded in the ninth chapter of Acts. 
And Paul says, who are you? And the answer comes back, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you persecute. Paul, you're not per persecuting Stephen, you're persecuting me. He's my body. He's my buddy. He's my co-laborer. He's my co-worker. He's my friend. He's my disciple. He's a part of my body. You've killed him. I'm Jesus of Nazareth whom you persecute. You don't persecute Stephen. You persecute me. Paul cried out, what must I do? And the Lord said, get up and go into the city of Damascus to the street called Straight. And a man will come talk to you. He was there three days without bread, without water, without anything. Blinded, could not see. And the Lord came to a man named Ananias. He said, the, Lord, the 11th verse, And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to the children of God in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. You want me to go down here to this man who has been killing your followers and he's come here to arrest some more? Lord, are you throwing me into the lion's den? Are you sending me to Jerusalem to be killed as Stephen was? The Lord said to him, go, go on, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went. He went on faith. He was a co-worker with God. He had heard this, we must work the works of him who sent me. And here's his Lord saying, go down there and talk to this man. He's your bitter enemy. He'd like to kill you if he could. But he's been changed. Take my word for it. He's been changed. Go down there and talk to him. Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, he said this. Listen to this tender word. Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. When Jesus was talking to Saul, when Saul was groveling in the dust of the Damascus road, blinded by this heavenly light, when Jesus was talking to Saul, why didn't Jesus tell him what to do? Why did he send him into Damascus to the street called Straight to the house of a man named Judas and send a man named Ananias down there to touch him and to call him brother. Why did he do it? Because there's some things God has chosen not to do alone. And there's just some things that will not be done in this church 
and in this community for the kingdom of God and in this world for the cause of Christ unless you and I hear the word of the Lord and go and do it. The ball is in our court. It is our time to shoot. It is our time to speak. It is our time to act. And if we do not do it, it will not be done. There's certain things every one of the individuals in this room can do. Something God wants every one of us to do. For every one of you who followers of Jesus Christ, who know him and trust him and love him, he has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. Willie Loma never saw anything outside of himself. His whole world was bound up within himself. But God has come into your life and you see a world of need there and it can be met by however you volunteer, however you serve, whatever method God leads you, whether it's to teach a Sunday school class or sing and corral or work with children or go on mission trips or whatever it may be to call us to give, to give of our minds, of our time, of our talent, of our money. We can all do that. We can all do that. We can all give something that will be to the glory of God and that will fulfill His plan for other people far beyond this building and even far beyond this city and even this nation all over the world. You're a co-laborer with God. You're a partner with God. We count on Him and He never fails us. He's counting on us. May we never fail Him. And we must do it quickly. That's what He said. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day for the night cometh when no man can work. Ours is a brief mission. A brief mission. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Swift to its close. We need to do it now for the night coming. Samuel Johnson had their, those words printed on the face of his watch. The night cometh. Thomas Carlyle wrote those on the first page of his first book. The night cometh. Sir Walter Scott had those on the sundial at his home. The night cometh. Some of you may have read about or know of Dr. Tom Dooley, the doctor who went out to Asia try to help heal the multitudes of people. He was working himself tirelessly and people were trying to get him to slow down and to stop. And he quoted the words of Robert Frost to them. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go before I sleep. Friends, we don't know how many miles we have to go before we sleep, but we need to be about the master's business in a hurry. The Bible says the king's work requireth haste. Today's the day. Now's the time. We're partners with Christ. 
He with us. May we, not just He. He will do that which we cannot do. We're to do that which He has chosen not to do. And together, the world will be changed if we will work the works of Him who sent us while it is day, for the night cometh when no man can work. Do you know Willie Loman? Do you know Jesus Christ? Let me introduce you to Jesus. He'll help get you out of yourself. Help you be the person that you want to be and that he's created you to be. Help you to be someone who will make a difference in the world. So when the end time comes for us, loved ones will stand there and never say he never knew who he was. They'll stand there and say he knew who he was. He was a child of the king, a son of God, a co-worker with the Savior. Will you come to trust him this morning, maybe for the first time in your life, to make that public decision? Born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of man, but of your own faith, to come make that personal decision to trust him as Savior, or to come be a part of this church, to become a part of the we that are here, the people of uh, the body of Christ that is here. We, the people of God, we need you. We believe you need us, and together we can do more than we can ever do separately, working in conjunction with our great Lord and Savior. So will you come? Maybe some to come and rededication, to say, I want to be more. I want to be more involved with what Christ is doing in my life. I want him to work more through me to be out making a difference in the kingdom of God. Don't get restless. This is the most important part of the service. This is when people are really dealing with God, not listening to Buckner or thinking about anything but what God wants them to do. So let me ask you to pray and be patient. And let me ask you not to be hesitant or afraid. You're among friends. To come from upstairs or down, wherever it might be, to come forward and say, I'm trusting Christ. I want to join this church. We don't care where you're coming from, what the church is. That's immaterial. We're interested in you. We're inviting you to come. I stand here in his stead to invite you to become part of we, the people of God. Let's stand and sing together.